the bench by Chris Worcester. Jonathan and I take turns sipping cool water as the other holds down the hard silver handle of the bubbler. When it's my turn, I stand on the second step carved into the cement fountain for small children because I am still shorter than five feet. As water trickles from my chin, I giggle and look toward Jonathan's grin. Laughing, he stands tall beside me. He's handsome in the sunshine with his tight brown curls. We're not allowed to spend time together after school, but this playground empties by late afternoon. We feel safe. I've ridden only six blocks on Beacon from Holly Road to Dorset and through the back dirt driveway into the Anger School playground. He's ridden all the way from West Newton to Wabin to be with me. I love him for that. The green wooden benches edging their way around the baseball diamond draw us to them. It's that or the cold metal of the monkey bars. Pointing to my corduroy skirt with a bow and extended arm, Jonathan chooses the bench. Even if you weren't wearing that skirt, I'd rather sit beside you. We settle in with just a bit of space between us. Quiet at first, we're startled when my bike topples down behind us. We laugh as he slides off the bench to right the bike. His parents forbid any out-of-school activities. They've explained they trust their son to do the right thing and assume he'll leave that white girl from Wabin where she belongs. My mother, a Baltimore banker's daughter with a law degree and a conscience, likes Jonathan. His father is a judge and his mother a professional woman. My father, a Gloucester fisherman's son with a college degree and a factory, despises Jonathan without knowing he exists. My father would hate the uppity judge and condemn any mother not home with her children. Jonathan and I meet despite what our parents want and expect of us. We know what's right. After all, it's 1965. Jonathan and I hold sweaty teen hands. I wonder how his large, dark hand holds my small, light one so gently. We talk and laugh too loudly until we relax into the calm of the deserted elementary school field. We've barely kissed, and only when we're alone. We'd never chance it in public. Our families watch the news, and we've all talked about the troubles in Southie. Our social studies teacher taught us about Rosa Parks' courage and the power of Malcolm X, and we understand we must be careful, even in Newton. So it's enough to talk and share sun and October breezes for now. We like our classes at Warren Junior High, and we often talk about teachers. Mr. Van earns our loudest laughter as we joke about his behavior. Jonathan reminds me about the time the squat monkey man put a pencil in his ear and walked around the classroom to encourage our attention to some readings. All we noticed was the blunt end of the yellow pencil going in and Mr. Van examining the racer when he slid it out. Few social studies facts held our interest compared to that. We chat about Mr. St. Pierre, and Jonathan jumps up off our bench to imitate St. Pierre's strut and mimes the man's delicate pull of his handkerchief, freeing it from the suit jacket pocket. With his book of Shakespeare in one hand and hanky in the other, St. Pierre minces in front of his desk. We watch and we listen. At any moment, he might stop and demand an answer after reciting a line to us. This, above all, to thine own self be true. Jonathan's miming is flawless as he softly pats the imaginary handkerchief across his lips, then commands, Stand. Face the class, Miss Kristen. 
speaker. We giggle. Jonathan sits back down beside me, then shifts a half turn so he's facing me. My hand on his knee assures him I prefer it that way. Within minutes, he removes my hand. His face stills. He drops my other hand from his as I lean into him. Puzzled, I tilt my chin upward. His body now facing forward, mouth barely moving, he whispers. See the guys on the bikes across the field? There, near the back of the gym. Move to the end of the bench, now. I shiver at Jonathan's cold command and out of surprise, obey. My throat too small as I swallow. I slide, then sit forward as Jonathan pushes back against the hard green slats. With back straight, shoulders up, and chest out, he looks bigger. I feel smaller. As the group of boys approaches, I see my oldest brother, Freddie, among them. I relax and turn to reassure Jonathan everything's fine. He doesn't even answer me. With a side slide of tires, each boy stops at the fountain in a spray of dirt and pebbles. After a gulp from our bubbler, they pretend to ignore us. Then, one by one, they circle their bikes around our bench. I don't know what's wrong, but I feel cornered. Words tiptoe up my throat and stop on my tongue just behind my front teeth. In a mix of anger and glee, my brother's face threatens. I've learned to remain calm despite a pull inside my chest. Smiling to charm, I look up and say, Hey, you guys, what are you guys doing? Is there a game? Freddie's friend, Hank, catches the handlebars and steadies the bike for Freddie to get off. He approaches and grabs my arms, then yanks me off the bench into his body. His eyes never let go of Jonathan's eyes. What are you doing with him? Startled by the force of his words, I feel my knees lock. His growl continues, Dad's going to kill you. I flinch with each word thrown and know to stand still until his ugliness leaves him. When he turns to grin at his friends, I wrench my wrists free of his clawing grip. What the hell does that mean? Leave us alone, Freddy. We're just talking. Without warning or word, he slaps my face. My cheek burns red, then I notice Jonathan's pale knuckles gripping the edge of our bench. I rub my cheek, but hold my tears so he'll know I'm okay. Jonathan doesn't move. I search Freddy's eyes before shoving fists at his chest and yelling as anger replaces my fear. Are you crazy? Mom's going to kill you for hitting me. There's nothing wrong here except what you and your buddies are doing. Next, Freddy spits words toward Jonathan's expressionless face. He's the wrong color. I'm going home and Dad's coming back. Better take your bike and move. Dad hates people like him. You're going to get it this time. I stare into his wild, angry eyes and wonder from where they come. I know he doesn't want to hurt me. He's showing off. He's learned I won't back down. To those forming sneering circles, he calls, Let's go. She's done. He taunts me with his Tom Selleck smile gone bad, and his eyes glint with pleasure as he pushes me back down beside Jonathan's rigid body. A loud snickering follows the trail of bikes Freddie leads away from us. Jonathan remains motionless until the last boy kicks our bikes down behind the bench and circles away. Then, in an unfamiliar tone, You understand, right? I couldn't help you. It's okay. There were just too many guys with Freddie. I've told you about his temper. He's hit me before. 
they'd never really hurt me. Jonathan stands. I watch him lift our bikes from the ground and roll mine to me. That's not the point. I wanted to help you and I didn't get up. We're in White Wobbin and they would hurt me. I'm the wrong color here. Like your brother said, what are you doing with me? I smiled up at his glistening eyes. We're friends, Jonathan. Don't worry. We'll figure this out. We can be like Rosa Parks, but on a playground bench. He shook his head and frowned down into my eyes. You don't understand. I had to sit and watch. I couldn't help you. Jonathan fixes a smile in place, then leaves me before I can respond. I watch his back while he pedals away. As tears drop onto my skirt, I grip my handlebars and slowly circle around the diamond. Then I sit down, but on a different bench, before navigating the rutted driveway out to Dorset Road. For the first time I can remember, home is too few streets away.